Kessler here from Grunthal. Paul Kingsley with the 30-second board to five. Brian, the gate is down. This is a sharp left-hander. Who's going to shot? Looks like Darcy Lange on that Richmond Gallup. Kawasaki gets the jump. That's where it all started. Big MX Radio is on the air. Fueled by passion, focused on motocross. Fox Racing Canada, Phoenix Handlebars, Guts Racing, 204 Skate Shop, and Throttle Syndicate make it possible to bring you the news, the interviews, and the point of views inside the sport of motocross. The gate's about to drop on Big MX Radio. Hello, and welcome to another episode of the Big MX Radio podcast. You know that Fox Racing Canada is always on board with us, such as also is Phoenix Handlebars, Guts Racing, and new for 2023, we've got WUSA. In fact, if you call up Kristen or John Anderson over at W and mention Big MX Radio, not only are you going to save some money, you get some VIP treatment. So go over to WUSA.com. Uh, they've got amazing wheel sets. They can take your stock hubs and build you up something special, something that's going to get some more life out of your bike as well as uh, give you that performance feel that you need to go send those big jumps or just feel a little bit more confident rolling into those corners with some high-performance wheels from WUSA. I, I just mentioned we also had we have Phoenix Handlebars as well as Guts Racing. Whether it's a seat base, seat foam, or just a seat cover, they have unbelievable products they're great customer service they're great cust their uh, the turnaround time is absolutely unreal and you guys are going to be really happy this podcast is a pretty entertaining one uh, there's a lot of people who are going to listen to this podcast who are probably going to be listening for me to grill jeff about the laser gate thing and honestly if that's why you listened uh, you can probably turn it off now uh, because that's not this podcast um I wanted to be able to call up Jeff Alessi and treat him as the professional racer that he is uh, and and give him the respect that he deserves. Um, A lot can be said about some of his decision-making in the past and some of the behavior that he's demonstrated in the past, but the bottom line is that Jeff Alessi's a good person. Jeff Alessi is a guy who... Um, has an incredibly long history within the sport um, and and raced with a lot of top flight guys and was very successful for a really long period of time, um, both as a privateer and as a as a as a privateer a privateer as well as a factory rider, uh, factory KTM rider. He uh, was considered for a, a Honda ride, which we talk about in this podcast. And uh, Jeff was pretty open and honest about how things really turned out. Uh, for that, and um, I, I know uh, it, this has been uh, a really um, a trying time for Jeff over the years. Obviously, having to put uh, the that Washugal incident kind of behind him, and, and still do some racing here and there. Um, his talent on two wheels is not something that can be understated, and it's been said not only on other shows but on this podcast as well. That if you're if if you know the whole story. Jeff Alessi is the more talented of the two, and and he even t- cops through in the podcast. That's what he got. Is what he got got, a, got a, along on, is that he had a skill set that was uh, a, an amount of natural ability that his older brother straight up didn't have. But what Mike did have was the ability to grind and suffer and train to be able to make up the difference. And I think that's kind of the beauty of motocross is that you have some guys out there who. Um, they've got more natural, natural ability in their pinky finger, um, than I do, uh, in my whole body, but, uh, on some hard work and, and sacrifice and being able to put in the work, uh, someone who, who might not be as blessed, like a guy like myself can, can still get it done. Or a guy like Michael Lessy, who extremely talented, but add in his work ethic on top of that. And you get a guy who, was a threat to win the 2007 outdoor title, was a threat to win the 2009 outdoor title, 
and he was the only guy to steal a moto win off of Ryan Dungey in the 2012 summer. So, like, it's pretty crazy to think of, but Michael Essie was extremely productive through some of his greatest years. So, um, but this podcast is about Jeff. Obviously, uh, Jeff is uh, has a little bit less notoriety as far and, and attention towards him, but I wanted to take an opportunity to showcase Jeff as the top flight athlete that he was and that that he uh, he performed for a long time. Uh, he's got a ton of great stories, and him and I both agreed after the podcast that he's going to have to be a repeat offender on the Big MX Radio podcast. Uh, we'll, we'll dig through some some old stories and uh, and put some things together, and uh, hopefully you guys will enjoy it. So without further ado, here is Jeff Alessi, the number 801 on the Big MX Radio podcast. Welcome to the Big MX Radio podcast, brought to you by Fox Racing Canada. Go to the website memorize the catalog, then go to your local dealer like Maple Ridge Motorsports and get yourself fitted from tip to tail, feet to toe, you, and uh, to feet to head. You you know you're going to be protected and you know you're going to be looking good in Fox Racing Canada. With us also is Guts Racing, Andy Gregg, fantastic guy. Go check out the website, get yourself a brand new seat cover. Heck, get yourself a whole brand new seat, seat base, seat foam, seat cover. Get yourself situated with Guts Racing. Also with us is Phoenix Handlebars. Jason Gerald over at Phoenix Handlebars handles every single order, handles them with care, and uh, you're going to be happy with what's in the box when you order something from Phoenix Handlebars. And you can save 15% with Big MX 15 at checkout. Last but not but not least is WUSA. John Anderson and Kristen Anderson over at W Wheels are just salt of the earth kind of people who uh, make such a great impact in the sport of motocross, and uh, and they're doing so especially this weekend at the World Vet Championships at uh, Glen Helen. Go to the race, uh, support the sport, and also if you mention Big MX Radio when ordering a brand new set of wheels or maybe a rebuild set of wheels through W, you'll get some special pricing on top of that, and that helps us out as well. I am your host, Brad Gebhardt, and I am very pleased and proud to present this 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 interview and my guest. He's been on the show before, but it's been almost half a decade since I had him on. He's the one, the only, number 801 in your program, Jeff Alessi. Jeff, how's it going? Hey, not doing too bad, man. It's uh, the, the temperatures are starting to drop. I'm starting to think more and more about going to California to get some uh, some riding time in because those days are all but done here up here in Canada. But uh, um, thank you so much for making some time to come in on the show. Yeah, I appreciate you uh, having me on here. We're we're getting a little bit of that temperature drop too over here. Um, we like it. I have my my personal track up in the high desert, so I've been out there with the skinster getting it ready for the kids to get ready. You know, they're they're getting ready for uh, everything this year, and we love it. Absolutely, you probably don't even. You probably don't even remember uh, coming on the show back in 2016. Uh, that was the the first one of the first years we did the Big MX Radio podcast. It was an episode where we brought not only yourself but also your your brother Mike on the show. And I believe that's the last year that you uh, registered results as a, as a pro in Supercross. Uh, a couple of uh, a couple of main events that particular year. Um, since then, uh, we've seen you at some vet races. We've seen you, uh, impacting the youths of, uh, of today by, uh, like you said, teaching and uh, getting kids ready for whether it be, uh, uh, spring nationals or, uh, supercross futures, what have you, uh, giving back to the sport in a lot of ways. That's awesome. Yeah. So me and my dad, we, we did a, a few little series, uh, amateur supercross, um, after we were kind of myself about my brother but after i was kind of walking away from the sport i wanted to get the kids ready for supercross there was a lot of kids that i helped and uh i thought the best thing for the kids here in southern california was to start an amateur supercross series so i called my dad and i told him you know this is something they need me and my brother coming in you know being california kids we didn't have much time to you know, ride Supercross on 85s, 65s, 125s, and stuff like that. So, uh, 
it was a great idea. It was, it really was. And so milestone helped us out and stuff like that. We, um, through, you know, after Supercross was done, we took the actual track that they were, uh, running, you know, guys like Chad Reed and all those guys were riding. We took that track and we just tamed it down to the kids and it was, it was awesome, you know? So, uh, we did that for a couple of years and it, it was great. Um, Last year I actually raced it wasn't 2016 it was 2017 so okay uh, yeah uh, had a great time but uh, I definitely feel like my my time at the track was better you know spent helping kids you know what I mean for sure a, a guy who has a ton of experience within the sport uh, and in a lot of ways you and your brother sort of. Um, one of the last sort of graduating uh, classes of a style of racing and a, and a, and an upbringing of racing that you just don't see anymore. The, uh, the late night races at, at Paris and, and, and doing the, 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 the fair races and basically like racing two or three times a week. You don't see that at all anymore. Like uh, obviously your dad made sure that you and Mike were, were on two wheels uh, more often than not, and basically uh, um, hunting down uh, all kinds of racing, whether that be, uh, uh, like I said, fair races, arena crosses, uh, outdoor races, I'm sure a ton of travel on top of that. Um, kids just don't develop the, the, that sort of way anymore. It's actually kind of uh, you and your brother in that in that respect are a bit of a throwback in that sense. Yeah, 100%. Like, when, you know, throughout my mom. She was the one when we were really young that made us follow outdoor nationals and took us up to those fair races and stuff like that. Uh, today, I feel like a lot of those kids are just going, you know, Club MX, uh, the Walker facility, uh, Moto X, and GPS, and all those places. Those those are great, you know, places to go to and, and get ready. But there's nothing like racing. I I know for sure when me and Mike were racing, um, we would get a little stale during the months like now, and then uh, you know we we go through the winter months, and then we would uh, get ready for outdoors. You know, we would follow those uh, races, and we would. It wasn't just like racing Millville Amateur Day, racing. Washougal Amateur Day. We uh, during the week we would go and ride at the local places that were uh, like the you know where everyone was going. So um, if you were down here in Southern California, it was it was like going to Glen Helen, going to Paula, going to Kalia, going to Paris. Um, it, it was no different than that. We were just following. You know the, the country. We were going to every place in the country, um, whether it, it was in Pennsylvania, uh, Washington. He did it. You know, it made us. It made us really good. I always uh, try to tell my riders. You know, I have a lot of riders right now that are really good, and I always try to influence the parents to take them to new tracks outside of you know California. I feel like California is a great state for racing. Obviously, it's a hub for Supercross, but um, when it comes down to like motocross, Supercross, we have a really good hub for Supercross. We don't have motocross tracks, so I tell all my riders they're trying to get good at, at motocross to get into the sport. Go out if you're trying to get ready for Supercross. Well we got a really good program there. You know? Yeah, I certainly I have, do. Yeah, go ahead. I, have, I obviously have my old, old Supercross track. Uh, now it's owned by Mumford. Um, we have all the tracks available to here. You know, everybody comes down here to Southern California to ride. And now I'm trying to, like, get a little program together for kids to race amateur Supercross. It's been really good. 
in your opinion, how important is it for young kids to to really get down some of the skill sets that are involved with Supercross specifically, given the fact that there's so much emphasis, especially in North American racing? Uh, obviously, it's it's the majority of our schedule. Uh, there's more Supercrosses than there are, there are outdoors, and certainly uh, that's where the, the money lies. Um in, in sort of like from a very young age, kids on, on 85 super minis uh, and sometimes even on, on 125s, uh, cultivating that, that skill set before moving up to the big bike? All right. So first off, that's an awesome question. Uh, I can tell you straight out of the box, experience-wise, me and Mike, we struggled. So when we were coming up, we focused on motocross only. And then we had these kids from France uh, that would come over here, ride the little invitational Supercross races, US Open. Um, there was a few of them. And then you watch them grow up and they did really good in Supercross. Uh, then there was a clear advantage to what Europe was doing, producing a few riders from a few places, Australia being one, and France being another. ADAC series in Germany, great. It was great for the uh, development of the kids that were coming up that didn't get to ride Supercross. In America, we didn't get to ride Supercross. So, like I said, when, when I was done racing, I went to my dad and I told him, I was like, dude, we got to start helping the kids develop in Supercross. We're in Southern California. You can't race motocross here. Yeah, Glenn Helen's great. Paul is great. But we just don't have the advantage of having tracks like uh, they do in, in Florida, Southwick, and all over the East Coast. So I, uh, I actually went to a few tracks, and I told them, you guys need to start focusing on developing supercross riders. Supercross, you know, things that were surrounded around developing riders to jump these tight and tight sections. And Milestone was the first one to jump on it. We went down there. We built a great system to teach kids how to ride. We had rider D. Francesco, Josh Free. Voland, all of them, Shimoda, every every rider. We had every rider that came down to our series and spent, you know, eight weeks out of every year racing our series. And during the weeks, I would train them. I would help them. And it got those kids ready, you know. And it was, it was really great. But unfortunately, Milestone closed down. So... Um, we've been trying to branch out and find new places to do that at. Um, but like I said, for me and Mike, our first couple of years racing Supercross, I took to it really good. Uh, my brother struggled. So we had to, uh, we had to get through those years. You know, I think there's a lot to gain, a lot to do in that aspect in here down here in California, you know, we, we need to build little facilities for those kids to be able to train and get ready for Supercross. So, and, and definitely, you know, like my girlfriend says, uh, she's just involved, just as involved in this as I am. Um, it's where the money's at, you know, right now with our sport, anybody can see that the direction of the sport is going towards things that are simple, easy, you know, the, the, uh, indoor arenas, the ability to watch everybody, watch your kids at a, you know, close view, not having your kids out in the, the middle of the, the facility, you know, it's, kind of how we're, we're going right now yeah it's, it's incredible it's actually funny to think that uh <clears throat> the road to supercross is essentially uh 
is paved with motocross tracks for the most part. Kids go to these facilities, they ride motocross tracks, they they practice on motocross tracks, and they do have usually those facilities have arena cross layouts and supercross layouts too. But for the most part, they're racing moto. And then uh, they go to the pros, and it's it's time to skim whoops, and it's uh, bull turns and and supercross triples, step on, step off, and everything else in between. Um, which which is actually quite similar to how uh, uh, you you and Mike uh, sort of got got thrown into the deep end as far as like you said, being like almost uh, like you guys were outdoor specialists in a world where Supercross was rewarded more, and, and I think that's uh, one of the reasons why I think uh, you guys dealt with some injuries at the earliest part of the career as well as just just struggled in Supercross wise. Good starters just hadn't cultivated all those skills uh, on the Supercross side of things. Um, what would you say is the most difficult skill within Supercross to learn or how, how, like what, what about Supercross is so different from racing outdoors? So in Supercross, you have to get your timing down. Obvious. That's obvious. But when you're talking about timing, you come out of corners when you're used to dirt, like jumping off, you know, anything outdoors, you've got a lot of momentum. When you're coming out of a corner in Supercross, you're going five mile an hour. And so you got to get used to preloading the bike, setting it up to, uh, it's almost like hitting a box that's five inches wide. And so you have to get used to flowing, popping the bike up, landing inside the transitions, so that you have a good drive for the next jump, you know? And so that's a big aspect. And then when you come out of corners, setting up for whoops, you just got to have big, gigantic, you know what? So it, it's difficult for these kids to come out and make the change for it because we're so used to sending it off of everything. And that, you know, if you go look at my first year of riding, uh, you know, in Supercross and almost anybody is that we're constantly over jump and jump where our timing is off. And it's because the amount you can be off on the landing is a big difference. So, um, you know, that video I posted the other week of me crashing when I broke my back you know I was I was trying to set up a, a pass I made the pass in the corner and I would come out get on the gas hard and my mind was you know motocross at that time and I came off the lip of a triple it was yeah it was a bad deal I over jumped the double you know you can't do that on a, on a super crash track you over jump anything you're landing into something else. Whereas motocross, you know, you can over jump something. You can kind of under jump something. Can't be bad in supercross. Timing is everything when it comes to supercross. Uh, something that you guys had to had to adapt to, and, and something that you're looking to uh, instill in some youths right now. Uh, how many kids are you working with right now? Oh, I I actually work with a very large percentage of the kids down here in Southern California. Um, yeah, a good, a good 20, 30% of them, um, on the regular. And then most of the kids I've worked with, you know, periodically, whenever I have my training camps up in the high desert, on our tracks, that's when we, we go up there and we, we do our training. I go out there with the skids deer, I try to build stuff that's going to be kind of close to what they're going to be racing at the national, um, whether that be in Freestone, Texas, Florida, or even at Loretta's. So that's, that's what I kind of do. Um, the tracks that me and Mike grew up racing on or riding on and training on at the time that we were doing it, they were gnarly. You know, we're, we're talking about, you know, three foot tall bumps, you know, all the way down uh, the straightaways. I try to go out there and give them a little bit nicer track. And uh, that's, that's how it is. 
So you, you just still do a lot of your race, like riding and training out there in the high des, uh, places where you might find a guy like Chris Kiefer and stuff like that. Um, that, that must be a, like a kind of a, a storied, uh, proving ground for, uh, for a lot of young amateurs, uh, throughout the years. And I, I'm sure that like, even like when you guys were coming up as, as, as much as you and Mike were like total hotshots, there must've been another, like kind of almost like a murderer's row of, uh, of young guys you'd see almost at every single race. Yeah, believe it or not, a lot of those guys, you know, kids like Bill Poto at that time used to come up to our tracks. They used to ride our tracks. They used to, um, you know, kind of encroach on our, our places, you know. That was how it was. We, we rode at Honda Valley. We rode behind the house. We rode down at Um We made those tracks good. We went out there with a skid steer you know, once every couple of years and we made it good and then let those tracks just get rough. And then, you know, as, as it went, people heard about the track. They came up. We're talking about a lot of, we had a lot of good kids, you know, Josh Grant, um, everybody came to Southern California. The Wapoto moved down there. Uh, kids that were going into their professional careers we moved down there and they would be hit with us trying to run our tracks with us. So we didn't have, you know, we weren't short of a good rider to race with on track like that. So it, there's there's been lots of talk over the years of obviously the the battles between uh, Ryan Villapoto and, and your brother Mike. Who is your rival? Who who is someone that you battled with most closely? I, I assume that, um, like you're you're like, are you two years younger than Mike? I'm ten months. Ten months. Ten years. months. Okay, yeah. So you're you might even be closer to Josh Grant's age than than uh, than Mike is. So JG was actually the oldest of us three. We were oh, okay. at the top of the line here. Here in Southern California, uh, it went Josh Grant, then the Alessi brothers. There was a couple few good kids, you know, Jake Canada, uh, Trent Pugmire. For me, though, growing up, my biggest rival was Josh Hill. And then Zach was born. I also had Dungy, Han, Lemoyne, Canada. I had a lot of guys. Um, <laughs> my bad. Tenard, not Canada. I had all those guys in my class. Uh, I would say that for my brother, it was, you know, he had like those um, big names, Millsap, Villapoto. For me, I had a lot of guys that had great careers in the professional ranks. Uh, that I had to deal with, you know, and, and that went all the way through my professional career. You know, I had to deal with, um, it, it was definitely Josh Hill, Zach Osborne, when me and, when me and Mike were at KTM, I was cut up against Zach Osborne, you know, to uh, keep my ride. Fortunately, I, I did pretty good that year, and Zach was struggling Supercross, and I got to keep my ride, but obviously we saw how that that turned out. Yeah, Ozzy, Ozzy was great, man. He he had to do it the hard way. He had to go to Europe and stuff like that. Um, it was it was crazy for him, but super stoked that he was able to overcome it all. Yeah, absolutely. And yeah, friend of the podcast, Zach Osborne. He is always good people, uh, and like you said, it did did it the absolute hard way. Um, yeah, you guys were on, uh, on, uh, Kawasaki, uh, 85s for a short bit. Then you're on Yamaha's then finished off on Honda's before moving up to the big bikes. Uh, and you were always, you're, you're a bigger guy than Mike, like both like you're, 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 your frame's bigger, you're taller. Um, like, and being only eight, like 10 months behind, like that you guys are basically graduating from one bike to the next almost in step. Absolutely. Yeah. So my brother, when we first got on, you know, the factory KTM bike, and we had to go learn how to ride Supercross, I was actually, you know, able to learn Supercross a lot quicker than my brother. And so it was like a, a time in my career where I was equal, maybe even a, a little bit faster than him. And so 
Um, it was different for me. I, I had a lot of pressure on my shoulders. My dad kept telling me, you know, I had to, I had to make it happen. My first year in Supercross, which is a lot, you know, that's how a lot of people have to uh, to enter the sport. A lot of kids have to enter the sport knowing they have to make something themselves right when they get in. And um, I, I kind of had a, a tough one there. You know, it was a big injury over there at competitive edge, and I broke my foot. And it was two weeks before my first race. My brother was racing from West Coast, so he was already going and stuff like that. I tried to come back a little bit too early. I wanted to uh, make that first race and the second race, and I believed in myself because my speed was so good. I had guys like Millsaps and and uh, Gossler. Gossler ended up second on the on the East Coast. He was riding with us, you know. I, I was a little bit, I was right there with him, and uh, still still bums me out that I didn't get to have that season for me. Yeah. Oh, certainly. Yeah, like a, a lot of uh, a ton of build up and, and and never really being being able to to connect with the uh, the Supercross results that that you probably uh, very well could have had. Like <clears throat> uh, injuries uh, can derail uh, any any career. Like we've seen it with uh, between like whether it's Adam Cerullo or Trey Kennard or anything else in between. Like uh, staying healthy. Uh, is 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 hard to do in the sport of motocross, especially when you guys are are right on the on the edge all the time. Um, like, am, is is it fair to say that at one point uh, that like obviously a lot of the spotlight will was always on Mike, but uh, was there ever a time when you had a little bit more pace than him? So when when I was a kid, dude, I used to be able to randomly go to a race and throw it down i was able to do it uh i was able to run his pace but it was it was never really consistent enough um my brother worked really hard he was he was always really really good uh but every now and then there was a, a track that i could go down i could i could run his pace there was a race down at paris Raceway where me and mike just I think we took each other out three times in one race. We still won the race. Um, but that's how it was. Like, like Mike, was, Mike was a generational talent, you know? He was, he was really good. He worked really, really hard. And he was always on top of everything. When he showed up to a track that he didn't really like, he was still going to be the fastest. Didn't matter who was there. But... Uh, I can remember on a handful of times that I would show up, you know, if it was Supercross, a little bit more of a Supercross track, I have a little bit more, uh, I guess you could say, as an advantage, you know, especially if there was whoops, you know. There was whoops. I could, I could hit whoops. Well, fair enough. Yeah, I definitely had the, especially the, the longer legs certainly helps. And uh, is there any particular reason why you gravitated to the 450 as quickly as you did? In fact, racing uh, a 450 in your uh, first season as a pro back in 2005. So, I think a lot of what I did, it was it was all based on what my dad wanted us to do. So we we came into the sport, and you know, me and my brother were a team. You know, where where he went, I went. And so, at that time, we came, like, right before he came in, we were on Honda's. And Honda was really struggling with their, with their 250. And, they, you know, obviously, Josh Grant was doing really good. He was able to win a race in 05. It was, yeah, it was 05. And, no, it was 04. So, 04... Josh got into his first race. He was leading his race. He uh, he was making that Honda 250 good, but we were not able to uh, build a bike that competitive. So we had to go that year racing 450s 
an amateur. And so when we came in, we were just really used to the 450s. And so that's why Mike went to the 450 immediately. When I came in the, the following year, it was a similar thing. You know, I was just, I was really used to the 450 as a 16-year-old kid. And that's what I like, you know. And so uh, a lot of people these days would be like, that's crazy. But back in the beginning of the four-stroke days, there was certain companies that built a good 250 and certain companies that built a good 250. And uh, that's kind of what we were doing, you know. We, were, we went down the path of a 450. Yeah, and, and you, you guys both had success, obviously, uh, even in uh, the 2017 or 2007 uh, outdoors. Were you still on? Uh, were you still on KTM's in 2007? Yeah. So 2007, I was still on the 450. I raced uh, Supercross and 250 class. The bike, you know, I didn't have a linkage. Didn't have obviously the bike. They got a lot better after that, but that was. Right at the beginning, my dad used to joke that KTM was like after world dominance, dominance. and so we were um, kind of like the, the guys that were, were, were working through all those parts that were coming through, um, and the 250 was it was it was good. The reason we went to uh, KTM was because they had such a good uh, engine. You know, at that time, Pro Circuit was a very, very good all-around bike. The Cali had a good engine, had a good frame, and good suspension. So the only thing that we could, you know, go into that battle with against them was something that had a lot of motor. So we were on uh, the KTM. KTM brought us a bike. It was really good. And so that's what, that's what we... Uh, we chose, you know, Honda. Honda at that time was the best that they could build was a 38 horsepower bike, and it just was not enough. So we jumped in and we went to State Town because they had a, I think it was 43, 43 horsepower engine. That time, uh, horsepower was king. So we went there and uh, we were we were definitely up against the grain, you know, when it came to, you know, the bikes, you know, that we were racing against, but, yeah, we worked hard. Certainly, and yeah, if you think back to it, uh, between the 2007 season, that uh, if things go Mike's way, he, he could have very well been a, a 450 championship uh, contender in, in 20, 2007, and then uh, if not for uh, a knee injury, uh, I think, and Josh Grant helping, by the way, uh, I think uh, the 2009 title is uh, is all but his. But uh, you switched to, to Hondas in 2008, all the way through the season, um, arguably, it, it was your best season on uh, both outdoors and indoors. Um <laughs> You must have got hurt during uh, Supercross because you have Anaheim, you have Anaheim one, San Diego, and then that was the last Supercross you had. You must have had an injury there. But then once you hit outdoors, man, you were basically you're a top ten guy almost every moto out. Yeah. So just to you know, start with 2008. Yeah, it was it was gnarly. I had to get um, a ride. Bad boys. Uh, Rick Blair was the guy that picked me up. My brother went over to the CT, so it was the first year for me and my brother to be separated. And so um, I really liked Honda because that was where I was I was comfortable at. And I wanted to race 450. I went straight back to 450, you know. Um, when they told me I could race 250 or 450, I was like, just keep me on the 450. I was young. But... Um, yeah, that was that was a long year. Uh, Supercross, I got. I went into it really, really, really good. I was fit. I was uh, I was ready for it. First round, I overjumped the triple, and uh, I broke my forks. And so, forks were broken. Uh, 
race that main event, came back, Tom Marine and changed sports. And then changed sports. That was on this there. And uh, next weekend, first lap, second corner, Ed goes in the whoops. And I kind of run my hand over. Had to get my hand fixed. Three weeks later, came back to San Diego. Um, I had, I believe, the fifth or sixth fastest lap time in the event. Yeah, my speed was great. And yeah, I love that Honda. So, um, East Coast came, and yeah, there was a lot of shakeup that happened. There was a lot of, a lot of stuff that happened. But my dad decided that I needed to change over to Mother Triple X and start getting ready for outdoors. And so I did that. Uh, I think it was a great move. Uh, I went into outdoors and I was ready. My, my fitness was great. Went to like came town round one and I think I got like eighth or ninth. Um, at that time, it was crazy. Like, there was a lot of fast guys. It was no different than today. You know, I, I, I believe I was battling with Townley on the factory Honda for, yeah, that's what I was doing. I was, it, it came down to me and Townley in the last couple laps at Hank Town. Um, it was, it was awesome. It was a great year. And, uh, midway through the season, factory Honda, they, uh, a lot of the guys had just been hurt. So the team, they, they came to me and they were like, hey, we want to give you a factory Honda ride. And they took me out. Flood that bike. It was crazy. And that bike was so good. The factory Honda bike in 2008, I always say, was on the same level as my dad's bike in 2015. It was like... The factory 2008 bike felt like my dad's 20, 2016 bike. That thing, that's wild. And unfortunately, you didn't end up landing that spot that went to Jimmy Albertson, who ended up actually getting injured and never getting to race it. Um, do you think that there was some, some politics involved on, on whether or not you, you got that ride? Cause as far as like results showed, um, and just by, by kind of like listening to the races on the webcast back in the day, um, I can't, I can't help but think that probably should have went to you, bud. Yeah. I mean, it, it was hundred percent, but it should have gone to me. Um, I get it. Like my team at the time with the triple X, they had a lot of sponsors throwing them money to have me on the team. And then, uh, you know, Jimmy's Jimmy's buddy, uh, Trey Kennard, was the, yeah, he sealed the deal for him getting the ride. But, you know, you can go back, you can look at it, and you can say, would I have gotten better results on that bike? Probably. Was I on a, a team already? Yeah, I was. But, uh, yeah. That's how it went. At the end of that year, uh, the, you know, the, the stars aligned for me. I had Mike Chicago came up to me, and uh, he said, you know, I, I know what you've been doing on this private bike. I want to build you, you know, a team around you. And that's uh, that's how the hop-up started. So, well, there you go. And, and yet, oh, go ahead. I don't know, like, had I been at Brentford Honda, I don't know if Mike Genova would have been that interested in starting the team in 2009. But I can tell you right now, in 2008, with what I was doing on the bike that I was doing it on, he was 100% motivated to get me um, over there and start a team. And, you know, that's how, that's how Moto Concept started. It certainly did, and they've enjoyed a lot of success ever since. Obviously, uh, coming up runner-up in the uh, the World Supercross Championships just two weeks ago. Uh, that following year, you actually ended up with your uh, your your best result as a as a pro, uh, two fifty West, uh, two thousand and nine series, uh, Anaheim three. Back in the day, we used to go to Anaheim three times, and uh, you you landed yourself a top five. What do you remember about that night? So that year, I was I was motivated. I just came off my best season ever outdoors on the 450. 
uh, Genova wanted me to ride the 250. He put me as the captain. Um, and I'm one dude. <laughs> I remember uh, it was a mud race. Crazy, crazy thing, you know? Mud, mud race at Brown uh, 1 in California. Uh, went to the LCQ. Was leading that thing. Almost end out. Um, on the last lap, brought it back, you know, for second, which was at that time the last transfer spot. Made that main event, did good that night. And then uh, Anaheim 3, um, good start. I think it was actually an, another mud race. And I was I was running second and third for most of the main event. And then uh, if you remember that night, Dungey almost landed, or he did land on uh, Han, on Will Han, on the Yamaha. That's right. And he was, I think he was second or third when that happened, and, you know, opened the door for me to, to run up there, you know, with the, with the Talney and all those guys that were, were, yeah, there was a lot of fast guys that night. And so I ran up there, and with, Two laps to go, running in third. Uh, Dungey and another guy were just making their way up towards me. I got passed on the last lap. Put me outside the podium. But, yeah, for your best. I was pumped on it. I still have that jersey. You there? Yep. My voice is just <clears throat> Well, guys, there you have it. Um, Jeff Alessi here on the Big MX Radio podcast. I can't thank him enough for coming on the show to uh, break things down and uh, really get into it. Um, great guy to talk to. Honestly, I really, really enjoyed talking to Jeff. He is uh, hes a smart individual. He's an insightful individual. He's a guy who rode for a lot of interesting teams that were in some interesting times within the sport uh, and, a, and a privateer who uh, swung from the fences and landed some pretty good results here and there uh, throughout his career. Uh, looking forward to having him on the show at some point uh, down the road. Uh, like we said off the top, if you contact uh, the Andersons over at WUSA, you will get uh, and mention Big MX Radio. You'll get some VIP treatment, and you're going to save some money on some awesome, uh, awesome set of wheels. WUSA is all things wheels, um, and they do everything from uh, performance full builds from the ground up all the way to uh, taking some stock hubs as well as vintage stuff, and they'll rebuild you something that uh, is going to take a lick and keep on ticking. And you know they they have awesome customer service on top of that. Speaking of customer service, I don't think there's a brand out there that has better customer service than um, than Guts Racing. Andy Gregg and his team over at Guts just do a fantastic job. And honestly, the, the only brand that I can think of who does a better job taking care of people uh, and being so personal is Phoenix Handlebars. Jason Gerald over at Phoenix Handlebars is, for lack of a better term, a one-man show. The guy does a fantastic job of making the brand uh, have the appearance of this, this like kind of that uh, the 800 pound gorilla that is able to to, to really change the game it, it, it uh, he portrays it as a bit of a boutique uh, motocross brand a uh, soul brand that uh, he hopes that a lot of people can really get behind but the the nuts and bolts of it is is that they have unbelievable product and great customer service he'll work with you to get exactly the bar bend that you need he'll help you out and uh, Jason is a fantastic guy. He handles all the social media stuff for Phoenix Handlebars. He's also the guy that does all of the motorcycle industry job stuff. Uh, so he wears a lot of hats. And you can also find him at Jason Gerald uh, on Instagram. Uh, so And you just have to uh, search Jason under who I follow. And you can find him no problem. And uh, he'll work with you on getting a brand new set of bars for your bike. So go check that out, guys. Uh, I would definitely encourage you to do so. And support all the Big MX Radio uh, podcast sponsors, including Fox Racing Canada. 
winter is here. You need some uh, some cold weather gear. They've got these awesome jackets. I'm currently wearing one. It's black. I absolutely love it. It's by Daily Driver. And honestly, I might go out and buy a second one in case this one ever kind of gets wrecked or gets like kind of like beat up over time because it's such a nice like warm and it's a good looking jacket I love wearing it out um the name of it is offhand but I'm gonna rem- I'm gonna remember for next podcast to, to go into the closet and uh, check out exactly what the name of that jacket is uh, you guys should get yourselves one as well uh, and maybe if you're listening to this and you're fortunate enough to listen somewhere where you've got good weather and uh, you're down in California right now heading the high des to uh, hit some uh, uh, awesome spots. Uh, maybe you're decked out in fox gear head to toe all the time. Um, but uh, you need you need you probably need a new kit. Let's be honest. Your the, the pants are a little worn out. You've been working hard on them. Uh, they're not going to last forever. You need to freshen things up with some brand new gear from Fox Racing. So why don't you go over to the website? Like we always say, go memorize the catalog, then waltz into your favorite local dealership, and then uh, patronize those guys. And uh, um, like take advantage of some lights out sales staff that uh, they know a little bit more than uh, than maybe I do. So uh, go ahead and do that, guys. I would really appreciate it and uh, and mention Bigger Mix Radio in doing so, and uh, you might get a thumbs up from those helping you. So that'd be awesome. Anyway, hopefully you enjoyed this podcast with Jeff Alessi. If you did, please uh, uh, give me some feedback on Instagram, Bigger Mix Radio. Uh, I literally will reply to all DMs that I ever get sent. Uh, if you send me a direct message, you're getting a reply. Uh, even like, and it won't just be a thumbs up. It'll uh, we'll, we'll we'll kind of banter back and forth in some conversation. Sometimes I get uh, like get lost in that sometimes, but I, I always have time for people who listen to the podcast and want to give me some f- feedback. So, thank you guys so much for listening to this podcast. Hopefully, you guys enjoyed it. Um, if Sean Wedge is listening to this right now and he's on the treadmill or on the elliptical, keep going, man, keep crushing it. Hopefully you're having yourself a good one and, uh, looking forward to getting some throttle therapy in 2023 with you. The season up here might be done, but I'm looking forward to going off to the Canadian vet world vet championships, not vet world championships. It's the Canadian championships, but either way they hand out world's championship trophies there. And I, I plan on going there uh, and going in the plus 30 class and getting myself a world's championship trophy, um, much like my friend Sean Wedge, who is an absolute gem and a great friend of mine. Love you, guy. So you guys have yourselves a good one. Thanks for listening. As always, take care.